This is called a series called What's Next? And we do it every year because it's really foundational in what we do and why we do everything that we do. And so we kind of do a version of this every year. And so the week one, we talked about what God wants. And what God wants is these next things. Because if you understand his why, then you'll understand our how. Why we do what and how we do what we do. If you understand these things. The first thing is that first and foremost, God wants lost people saved. He, that's why he sent his son Jesus. Nothing else matters until that happens. That is security in your eternity. You'll see that in a minute. He wants saved people pastored. He now wants you to get you healed. That's what we're going to talk, to, talk about today. We would say finding freedom. How you can find freedom for your past. You don't have to drag it around with you. Then he wants pastored people trained. He wants people who have gotten free of their past now trained to go do something and figure out why they're on the earth. And then the last thing he says is, hey, I'm going to take you as individuals, put you in a group now, and I need you mobilized so that you can go change the world, so that you can go reach out, so that people in Sylvania, in Screven County, in Millen, and Jenkins, and all around, they can be touched because I want people to know what God's done for me. Because I didn't deserve it, yet he did it for me anyway. Last week we talked about knowing God. That knowing God is where he promises, hey, I'm going to bring you out. He's telling the Israelites in Egypt, hey, I'm going to get you out of the mess that you're in. This is the promise of salvation. Now, what you need to remember is that knowing God is about the quality of life in eternity. Because whether you believe it or not, I've had people sitting here and say, well, Clint, you're a great speaker, you're motivational, but I just don't believe in God. Well, to which I say, that's fine. Here's the thing. We're all going somewhere. You can deny it all you want. You can call yourself an atheist, an agnostic, or anything in between. But we're all going on this spiritual journey. The question is, where? And so God says, hey, the first thing I need you to do is know me. Why? Because eternity is a whole lot longer than our time here on earth. But what we're going to talk about today, finding freedom is about the quality of life here on earth. And there's a lot of Christians who salvation is not an issue, but they don't live their lives in such a way that God really created them to. They get by, they get into heaven, they survive. And that's just not how God created us to live. I said this week one, you can take somebody and bring them in front of me and say they have all the money they need, their family's good, their kids are good, their dogs are good, the washing machine works, the dryer works, the lawnmower works, everything's perfect. And I will tell you, great, but do you know God has more? We kind of settle like, we, okay, if things are good, then that's as good as it gets. And I say no, because that limits God. And the Bible very clearly says he has more. That knowing God's a promise that stands alone and nothing else can be mixed with it. See, knowing God is all grace. Grace means it's given to you and you don't deserve it. What we're going to talk about today, finding freedom, is about working out and walking out that grace. Okay, now that I've got it, what do I do with it? The first step is really easy. The Bible says you confess with your mouth, believe it in your heart that Jesus is and who he says he was and died for you. Then the Bible's very clear, that's salvation. Now it's what do we do with it? If you remember my example from last week, God said, I'm going to get you out. You're in a bad place. i got to move you. 
because we're all standing in a pile of, nobody wants to say it. Poop. I asked somebody the other day, what's one thing you remember about the message last week? He looked right at me and said, poop. That's exactly why I said it. So God says, you're standing in this mess. I need to get you out of it. Out of it. Now that you're out of the mess, I need to get you to stop acting like you're still standing in it. To quit smelling like you're still standing in it. So finding freedom is working that out. How do we do that? The Bible says that we're to work that out. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 2. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. In other words, when you're saved, this process starts. Salvation is instant, but now the freedom part begins to work in you, begins to heal you of your past. And it says, and do it, obey God with deep reverence and fear. That doesn't mean like fear, like, like maybe when you have a dog and you raise your hand at the dog and the dog winces. That fear is a holy reverence, a healthy fear and respect for who God is. This is the getting the stink off, get you out of that hopeless place. Because knowing God, knowing God begins this process of cleaning you up. If you look at the second verse, second part of this verse, it says, for God is now working in you. Here's the cool part about it. People will tell me, oh, I just, I don't know if I can do that, if I can walk this thing out. Well, here's the cool thing. The Bible says here that God gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases him, to help move you along. Because this begins the process, but you need to know this. You have to let God in. Salvation, he doesn't just hammer you and then one day you're saved. He doesn't force himself on you. It's a willing invitation of a free gift. But there's something else that's true. You also have to, have to let God work in you. You can receive Jesus and tell, and, have nothing, and tell God, no, I'm done. And a lot of us do that. A lot of us punch the salvation card. But the problem with that is you're not living anywhere close to the, the good stuff, the blessings that God has for your life. Finding freedom is about a change in us. Gives us the power to, hey, I'm going to take my one step. If you're new, you'll see really all over the church, out in the foyer and in the parking lot, this thing one step. And that's, we believe that God's got everybody taking one step at a time. From where you are, the mess of life, one step closer to Him, one step closer to the things He wants you to be and do and how He wants you to live. But I want you to understand this process. And in order to do that, I want to teach you something. If you had psychology in high school and, and college, you probably already know some of this. Um, but this explains a lot. Psychology didn't come up with this. This is how God built us. And I want you to know how God built you because it helps you understand the process of walking through and getting some freedom from your past and the baggage that comes along with that. Here's what you're, how you're built. This vessel is a body. That's the physical flesh. It, it's what feels pain. It, it, it's, it's the thing that we, most of our lives, we struggle and we fight to make the flesh happy. You need to know this. Your flesh, your body's only goal is to feel good. It doesn't care about your soul, and your soul which is now your mind, your will, and your emotions, because your flesh will get you in all kinds of trouble and leave you feeling 
depressed and upset and angry because it just wants your body to feel good. So the second thing there is your soul. That's your mind, your will, and emotions. It will do whatever it takes to soothe your emotions. But the body and the soul is not the real you. The real you, the Bible says, is your spirit. This is the God-like part of you. The Bible says, if you think through any your Sunday school or if you've been in church at all, you remember the Father, the Son, and the Bible says that the third part of God is the Spirit. Well, you're a spirit too. That's who you are. And it confuses people, so here's the way I like to say it. Maybe this will help you. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. See, God created us to be spirit-led. Today, because and honestly, there are a lot of crazy Christians that say, well, I'm spirit-led and I'm charismatic, and they use all these terms. They're really kind of using them out of context. Because all this means is God created you to have the real you lead the way. The problem is most of us have it reversed. We let our body, our flesh lead the way. We then soothe our emotions and the spirit just kind of tags along. Well, see, that's not how God built us. And if you look at Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says this, but this is what he was talking about. But Jesus told them, no, the scriptures say people don't live by bread alone, but out of every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why? Because just like your body has to eat, you're the real you, the spiritual you, has to eat. And the, Jesus is saying, hey, that's what builds you up. You can probably feel it. Anybody ever read, your, even if it's just coincidental, you flip open your Bible, you open your Bible app, and you read a verse. And there's just something about the verse. You may not really fully understand it, but there's something that kind of gets you excited. Like, it, wow, I needed that. That's the real you taking a bite to eat, taking, getting fed. You see, most of our lives are ruled by the flesh or the emotions. And it really, honestly, it's self-destructive. But you need to understand this. Freedom is found by dealing with our yesterdays, dealing with it from even our, the real you, the spirit side of you that controls our lives. And I want to give you some things that, that keeps us going around the mountain, that keeps us from not finding freedom. Some of them should be obvious. I'm going to give you three. Some maybe not quite so obvious to you. The first one is just sin. And then I, I say that, and then I get this question, well, what kind of sin? There is no kind of sin. There's sin. Now, there's different results of sin, the fruit of sin. If I steal a candy bar from Pojo's, for $2, it's a big difference than if I robbed Queensboro Bank, right? Is one more wrong than the other? No. But see, the problem is the sin in our lives keeps us going in circles. We stay on this merry-go-round, do the same thing over and over. Anybody remember what the definition of insanity is? You do the same thing over and over and expect what? Different results. Yet us, as grown adults, we do the same thing. We're shocked. I can't believe this didn't work out again. We didn't change anything. You just kept doing what you were always doing. 
We get discouraged because we think we're the only one. Or pride keeps us from getting help, getting over this. My word today is stop going in circles. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, had issues. Look what he says. This is in Romans. He's writing to the Roman church. And he says, so I find this at work in me. I want to do good, but there's this thing staring at me. Now, honest. Some of you got your kids here looking at you, and I want them to see adults answer honestly. How many of you have made a decision in your mind? You said, no, this is not right. I'm not going to do this. But there's that thing whispering at you. No, you want that. You need to do that. If we're real, guys, she's, she's pretty, isn't she? Yeah, she's pretty. Why don't you go talk? I, I can't talk to her. I, you know, I'm married. And we just, we suddenly find ourselves in a place like, how did I get here? Like, God, I just added to my pile. I'm now standing in a larger pile of poo, right? And it wasn't the devil doing it to us. We just decided to, to do it ourselves. So even Paul is writing, hey, I struggle with this. Why? Because we needed somebody to give us freedom from it. Look what the next verse says. For in my inner being, that translates from my spirit, it's outside of me, external, saying I, it's hard to follow God, but the real you is inside saying, oh, no. I, God, I'm, I'm excited about your rules. I'm excited about following you. If you skip down a couple of verses, look what it says. Then he even says, oh, what a miserable person I am. He asks the question, who's going to free me from being dominated by things I shouldn't be doing? And then he answers his own question. Thank God the answer is, say it with me, the answer is, oh, come on, say it like you mean it. The answer is, Jesus Christ. yes, he gives us the answer. So the, the sin issue in our life is dealt with by the blood of Jesus. We, we're saved. But now we have the, the sin issue of letting God find freedom, letting God bring us healing from the things, these self-inflicted, these wounds. You know, I'm surprised how many people will tell me that I'll, we'll talk about life. They'll say, I've got these issues in my life. And I'll ask them, well, You've kept it hidden. Do you think nobody knows? Well, yeah, nobody knows. It's like, well, do you think God knows? And they almost always pause and have to stop and think. Well, and I just stop. Well, let me just tell you, he does. So we pretend like God doesn't even know. And God's telling you, hey, I'm not coming down with my wrath on you. I'm opening my arms saying, bring you and your pile of poo with you and let me help you. Let me help you find some freedom from this mess that you keep going around in circles. The second thing that keeps you from settling your yesterdays and finding freedom is this, open wounds. And this is a, there is a whole list of these. There are some of you that maybe you were out of church for a long time because somebody in church hurt your feelings, wounded you, said something ugly about you, talked about you talking to somebody just the other day who said, listen, I haven't been in church because I got judged and, I, and somebody hurt me. And they, I just didn't want anything to do with it. This is what others have done to you. Most of the time, this kind of stuff is things that aren't your fault. But how many of you know, even if it's not your fault, the devil will use it to keep you away from God. You see, understand this. No, once you know God, the devil can't take that from you. 
So if he can't take that from you, his next, next best option is to keep you subpar on your potential, keep you down from what God has for you to do, what he's, he's put in you and planned in you. These, these kind of open wounds could be rejection, divorce, tragedy in life, people you trusted. Again, answer this question honestly. And adults, I want your young people to see you answer this honestly. How many of you had somebody you loved, trusted, and known for a long time stab you in the back? Do you wrong? The rest of you aren't raising your hands, just aren't being honest. Because we, if we think back, there's been somebody that, was, that we thought we trusted, they were close to us, and they somehow did us wrong. See, the problem is, when you don't deal with that, it just keeps you going in circles. I was telling somebody the other day, when you talk about forgiveness, you know, forgiveness is a one-player game. And by that, I mean, somebody offends me. We'll take Mark here. Mark offends me. And I carry it and I stew on it. Mark goes on with his life, but I'm angry at him. I talk about him. You know, I put his picture up on the wall and throw darts at it. I just, it festers in me. Does Mark even know I'm angry? No. A lot of us live that way. And it's the equivalent of this. I like saying this way. It's like setting yourself on fire and expecting him to die from the smoke. It's a one-player game because I have to go, God, I forgive him. Now, if he hears, says he's sorry, repents, we work it out, great. But my forgiveness doesn't ba isn't based on his response. My forgiveness starts within me. And when you don't, it keeps you going on the merry-go-round because the devil likes to keep this wedge in between you, keep you from taking your one step, keep you from moving forward. We miss the better there are a lot of Christians who are saved and going to heaven, but they're living their lives well short of what God has for them here on this earth. The Bible even talks about, it. again, Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians. He said, go ahead and be angry. And this version, this is the message paraphrase version that this guy wrote for his family to read. I love the way he says this. He says, you do well to be angry. In other words, you're going to be angry. How many of you read in the Bible? You know what? There's times where God, guess what? God got. You read through the Old Testament, God got angry and, he just, and like whole people got wiped out. But look what he tells us. Don't use that fuel as fuel for your revenge. Then the most important part, and here's what we miss. God didn't say you can't get angry. God said you're not to stay angry. The... The other versions say, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because if you, when, it, when the sun goes down and it begins to grow roots, it begins to, to grab a hold and stay. And it says, don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Because when you do, the Bible says the devil grabs a hold and he wedges that door open. So those things of the past, you, you can't shut the door. Now here's the third area third area that keeps us from freedom and from God's best. And here's the one that I think people pretend doesn't exist. And that is your real enemy. And for your husband and wife, it's not the person sitting next to you. It's not your friend sitting next to you. It's not your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It's your real enemy is not that person at work that just drives you nuts. Your real enemy is not the person in the 10 items or less checkout line with two buggies full. 
right? It's not people. We like to, to ignore this fact that there is a real devil. And the Bible's very clear that it's not people we're fighting against. It's the devil. That when he's heard in your Sunday school that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that's exactly what he wants to do. He doesn't want to just wound you. He wants to take you out. Now, I don't tell you that to scare you. I tell you that because the Bible's clear that the devil has been defeated by what Jesus did for us. So when you come face to face, you can tell the devil, not afraid of you. Why? Because I, my God beat you. And if you read the end of the book, you win, right? Sometimes it takes us getting a little bit of gumption. Some of you have heard me say before that in my previous home, I was, we lived in a neighborhood, and I've had times where my girls were sick. It was just like the devil was just piling stuff on. And I walked to my front door one morning. I'd had enough after about a week. You can only take so much diarrhea, throwing up, right? Anybody ever been there? Really? I'm the only one? Like you can only, only do that so many hours and no, and, and no sleep. And, and I went to the front door and real loud said, devil, out. Because I understand you're here trying to destroy life and you're not going to do it because my Bible tells me that I've overcome you, that I can be free of this mess. Look what Ephesians 6 says. It says that we don't fight against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. In a nutshell, what that is, if you remember back in, the, in Genesis, when the devil was an angel, he was the worship leader, and God said he got too big for his britches. God said he tried to arise and said, I can be like God. God said, you're out of here. In that, a third of the angels were thrown out with him. That's just basically what it is. It's the devil's minions now that are on the earth trying to do his work and trying to mess us up, trying to knock us off course and trying to keep you trapped in the past and your problems and your hurts and your wound. Look what the Bible says now. It says in 1 Peter 5, 8, hey, stay alert. On your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is not an if. This is a he is. He, not a might. He will. He's looking for someone who's not paying attention to, to take a bite out of. The devil wants to keep you looking in the rearview mirror. And the sad thing is a lot of us have gotten good at faking it. Now, here's a real test of honesty. Don't raise your hands, but I'll be able to tell by the look on your eye. You ready? Anybody in the room leave the house screaming at your wife, screaming at your kids, or even screaming at the car or other drivers this morning on the way to church? Uh-huh. Somebody's like, and the moment you pull onto the parking lot and the door opens, the beams of sunshine come out of your car, the holy cloud of God's glory, and you put on the face, hey, brother, how are you? Good to see you. Hey, so you're, you're dre uh, that dress, you, I mean, your hair, I love what you, right? Oh, these are my little angels. And just 30 seconds earlier, 
you were telling them what they were, right? You spawn of Satan, right? We laugh because we do. We're so tied up in knots and angry, and then we open the door. Now listen, I'm not telling you to come in the door slinging stuff and angry. But I think it's okay to go, how are you this morning? I'm not good. She's, she's got on my nerves. I forgive her, she forgive me, but I'm a little agitated. But I plan on finding some joy when I go in there. And just just be real. Because the problem is we put on the church mask and, no, and we act like oh, everything's great. There's been some mornings I've stood up here and, I mean, I, Mel, if you don't believe me, ask Melanie. And I met her at the door. She came in. I was like, listen, I don't even want to do this. All the vocals, they, they're not even in the same key we're in. The drummer can't play. My guitar's broke. I'm terrible. Nothing's working. The microphones are cutting on and off, right? Not, I can't even remember what my sermon's about today. I just, I'm done. Melanie, calm down. And, I, and the whole time I'm teaching in my mind, y'all don't see it, but I'm like, I'm complaining about you. Look at him asleep. Look, they fell asleep. Over. Look, look, she's nodding off. She's on her phone. She ain't looking at you version. She's doing Facebook. Every now and then I see somebody go, like you can take a selfie and I can't see it. I can see it. And I'm, I, I, anybody ever been there? So what you see Ain't what's going on in here. I'm not even sure I could tell you what was going on in here because it might offend you. But when we get so good at being fake, we get used to living in condemnation. I can, I can deal with this condemnation because I, nobody else knows I'm feeling condemned because I blew it last night. I yelled at my wife last night. I told my kids how terrible they were and said ugly things to them. I maybe smoked something, drank something, maybe did, was with somebody I shouldn't have been with. I did all these things last night, but if nobody else knows it, then I can handle the condemnation. Well, see, the Bible says that that condemnation shouldn't be there. Look what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, is there a difference between condemnation and conviction? Yes. Condemnation is you're worthless. Conviction is you're worth my blood, now let me help you fix it. Right? Y'all get that? Condemnation is you're terrible, you're never going to amount to anything. Conviction is I know that hurts you, please let me help you. But you can't do it if you have this mask on. Look what it goes on to say in the second part of that verse. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, notice the capital S, that's God, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The devil can't win. The devil hasn't won. He only does because you let him. So every week if you're new, I try to always walk you out of here and leave you with some things you can do. Because it's important, I think, that you not just hear the word, but that you can walk it out. You can actually do it and see God change and, and talk about the testimony. And here's what we need to understand this morning. And this is true for everyone. If you've been around, you've heard me say this before. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Tell teenagers all the time. 
I'm worried about my future. Okay, well, who are you hanging out with? And they start showing me who they're hanging out with. And then they look at me like a deer in headlights when I tell them, well, that's what you're going to end up like. Do you like that? No. Adults, don't think you're any different. The people that you're hanging out with, the things they're doing, if it's not godly, guess what's coming down the pipe? I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but truth is truth. So finding freedom is this. Knowing, knowing God is about changing your allegiances. I'm moving it from the earth to God. I'm, my allegiance is you. It's like we would say for the United States. I pledge allegiance to the United States. It's my country. It's my home. Knowing God is about changing allegiance from the world to say, okay, God, you're, you're my king, you're my dad, you're my heavenly father, I'm going to follow you. Finding freedom is about changing influences. It's about changing those things that, that push you either way you're going. And it's very important. It's why God's people are so important. Because this is true. Influences push you towards your one step or they push you away from it. Are you thinking of some people in your life? Are they pushing you toward one step closer to God? Or are they, because there is no neutral. There is no, well, they're kind of in the middle. No, they're either helping you go toward and supporting you going toward your one step, or they're pushing you away. That's why God's people are so crucial. That's why Melanie asked you the question. If this afternoon something in life just goes to pot and you say, I just need somebody to pray for me. Can you send a message, make a phone call, and have a couple people praying for you now? And if the answer is no, you're, 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 you're flying without a parachute. As long as that plane takes off and lands, you're good. But the moment something happens, because the Bible did, God didn't create you to do life's alone, life alone. And the way you walk this out is to understand this. Relationships are crucial. They're crucial. You need to have people in your lives that know where you are in life. And I think, honestly, today's world technology, why not use it? There are a couple men and a couple in this room that on my iPhone in particular, I have my finder friends on, they have my location 24-7. 24-7. Well, don't you think that none of their business? No, I don't. It's very much their business. Why? Because God said they're supposed to help me in the same way I'm supposed to help them. That's why they know where I am. Now, Melanie and Mabel and my wife, they all have that information. But there are two men that know where I am at all times. And it, honestly, if something goes wrong, you can ask them. I'll even message them, hey, I'm not showing up on you, and we're not because I do the same thing for them, what's wrong? Oh, we just, it's a new phone and they fix it. Why? Because relationships are crucial. People are pushing you away or pulling you, pushing you to God or pulling you away from him. The problem is the decision we make to bring the people to us. If I'm trying to get the stink off of me, that's this issue. We'll just say alcohol. Where's the worst place for me to go hang out? The bar. 
or standing at food line in front of the beer aisle at. Hmm. Right? Wisdom says those are not the people. They can be your friends, and they may be able to help you in other parts of your life, but those are not the people that you want to help you overcome that. You have to let people in. And I bet most of you probably, a lot of people don't. I say most of you. You may not know this, but that's one reason we push grow groups. Why are you getting a grow group? Like Melanie said, people are, you have to have people in your life. But the Bible says this, that you go to God for forgiveness. You, God, I, I'm sorry. I need to receive your forgiveness. First John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. Put us back in order. But did you know this is true? You go to God's people for healing. If you gather the, church, gather the elders of the church together, the Bible says this, and you lay hands on people, they will be healed. Now, are the people doing the healing? No. God's sacrifice of his son Jesus brought us healing. But it also says this in James chapter 5. If you confess to each other your sins... Hey, dude, I need you to help me. I'm struggling with this. You should have heard the things I said to my wife last night. And you, I, I need, man, I need some help. I need you to pray with me. And pray for each other so you may be healed. In verse 16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Well, Clint, that means physical healing. Well, no, no. I actually went and looked this up. If you look at in the original text, and in the, in this would be in Greek, that word healing doesn't just mean physical healing. It means to be free from errors. That you want to go, to, you want to get rid of these errors in your life, these problems, you need to have a group you can go to. You need to have, for guys, you need to have somebody else that you can go to that's going to push you toward your one step. You go to God for forgiveness, God's people for healing. Now, Here's two things you can do to walk this out, and then we'll close. The first thing is this. You need to invite people in. You need to invite them in. This is beyond salvation. You need to invite people in so they can, they can see your lives. Because the Bible's very clear. There's power when you tell your story and when somebody else tells you their story, right? When somebody else goes, hey, I've been there. I know how to help you with that. I know what I prayed. I know what God showed me. And you begin to move that way. You invite people in. The Bible says in Revelation 12, it says, and they defeated him, meaning the devil, by the blood of the lamb. Jesus came and died for me. And by the one version says the word of their testimony, by telling their story. You know, you can tell your story sitting in your office cubicle to a friend Never mention the Bible verse, never mention the Bible says, and the Bible tells us that your story with God involved can change lives. It's why we do the five for five during the summer, because your stories have just as much power as any sermon ever preached. You hear other stories, you tell them your stories. The second thing, and ushers, you can do your thing. You invite people in, but I need you to invite Jesus in. Now, this is not salvation. The Bible says I confess it with my mouth and believe it in my heart that Jesus is my Savior. My salvation is secure. This is letting him pass the front door. 
This is letting him to letting God in all areas of your life. Like he can't see it anyway. Let me give you a good example. Anybody have a room growing up that was a formal living room? I did. And you couldn't go in that room. And it used to drive us nuts. And if you vacuum the room, I used to have to vacuum for my mom. You had to vacuum and get all the lines in a row, right? And then as soon as you get done, your brother or sister would walk through. Or in your great, here's the best one. Anybody got grandma's house that's got plastic on the furniture? You know, you sit down. You know, you're stuck to it, the South Georgia heat. Because it's grandma's house, but it's probably 85 degrees in there anyway. And you're sitting on plastic furniture. See, inviting Jesus in is the equivalent of going, you know what? It's furniture. We might as well use it. Come on in. And we take all the plastic off. Or this. Mel and I used to do Christmas parties for the church. Now it's just too many people. And the night before, while she's cooking and preparing, I was taking anything that wasn't nailed down and cramming it in our closet. So when you walked in the house, like, wow, Williams has got a nice house. It's clean. There's no junk everywhere. What did you not see? That I had everything but the lawnmower shoved in the closet. All my girls, all the girls, same way. Everything's piled in. See, inviting Jesus in says, I'm not even going to move my stuff, God. This is where I am. So you invite people in, you start talking about life, you invite Jesus in and say, God, I need you to help me. I got stuff all out of whack. I got clothes in the wrong place and tools inside, you know, just nothing in my house is organized. And the Bible says that Jesus comes in and begins to organize it. King David in the, in the book of Psalm, Psalm 26 said this. He tells God, God, examine my heart in my mind because God I've always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived on the reliance of your faithfulness which means God I don't want to tell you but I need you to organize me like you want me to be because here's the as we close here's, here's, what, here's the honest truth and I even put it on the screen for you Instead, what we do is we pray this, God, please fix the situation, not the problem, right? God, I need you to fix this. I don't want to change, but I need you to fix this. What we really need is a changed heart. I need God to change my heart. I need not just fix the things around me. We would rather God, hey, God, you fix that person. They're terrible. They're ugly, they're rude, they're angry, they're mean. Fix them. But finding freedom comes when you realize I've got a changed heart. And I'm just going to tell you up front, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes finding freedom is a process that takes a whole lot longer than I would personally, for me, like to make it happen. But it always happens when you're taking your one step. So we want you to know God, meet Jesus, and then begin to find freedom. Let him deal with your hurts and your past.
why don't you real quick bow your heads, close your eyes. My first prayer is, okay, God, they need to know you. So if that's you this morning, it's a simple prayer, something like this. You say, God, forgive me of my mess. I receive you, Lord Jesus, as my Lord, my Savior, and I'm gonna follow you. Now, God, help me. Jesus' name, amen. That's it. You pray that, you're saved. Now, for the rest of you, I think you need to maybe begin to pray something like this. God, I'm stuck. I need to invite people in, and God, I invite you in, and I'm asking you to change me. Not everybody else. God, I'm asking you to change me. Heal, heal me from my hurt. God, heal me from the mess. God, heal me from the, the wound, the people that stabbed me in the back. God, heal my life so that I can move forward and find freedom. And God, for whoever that is in the room this morning, I thank you that they know that freedom. God, the weight comes off, the anger comes off, and they live their lives, Father God, moving forward to you. God, we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand real